Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Sully Baseball. This is the podcast where we talk about baseball 52 weeks out of the year. There is no offseason. And I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this on the 23rd day of April 2018 from Sully Baseball Studio in Pasadena, California, overlooking the historic Rose Bowl. Well, let's address the first thing as a Boston Red Sox fan. Uh, the weekend uh, could have ended better. I saw the Red Sox get no hit for the first time in 25 years when Chris Bossio no hit the Red Sox in, that must have been 93? Yeah, that'd be 25 years ago, Sully. And it's been 25 years, a quarter of a century has gone by since the Red Sox got no hit. The previous no hit against the Red Sox, sorry about that hiccup, was by uh, Dave Dravecki, uh, not Dave Dravecki, Dave Rigetti on the 4th of July in 1983. I remember that game well. So, yeah, and then they lost Sunday at a dramatic game, 4-1. to one. It was 1-1 one one going to the 8th. They left in David Price for probably a little bit too long, although he was pitching quite well. And he let up a three-run homer, and the A's won the final two games. Red Sox fans, don't panic. Seriously, don't panic. This is not a time to panic. The Red Sox were not going to win 130 games. They lost as many games since Saturday as they had the entire season leading up to it. The Red Sox still have the fewest number of losses at four. If you had said at the beginning of the year the Red Sox were going to win 17 of their first 21 games, including winning series against the Yankees, including winning series in Anaheim against the Angels, who were red hot when the Red Sox came storming in, I think you would have taken it. And the trip, if I said, hey, the Red Sox are going to face a red hot Angels team and then go up to Oakland, who have been hitting pretty well. Well, how are they going to do? In those six games, the Red Sox will win four of them. Um, everyone would take that. And that's exactly what happened. Winning four of six, two out of every three, is the solution to having a great season. Winning two out of every three means that over 162 games, you're going to win 108 games. If the Red Sox win 108 games, I think we will all take that and take that kindly. Now, you take a look at the, you know, you take a look at the standings, and an amazing thing happens over the course of 162 games of a baseball season. And that is, ships write themselves... And talent tends to win, and flawed teams tend to fall apart. Every once in a while, you'll see a fluke team, or a team that basically bucks any convention of the stats. You're like, holy cow, how is this team winning all these games? 2007, the Arizona Diamondbacks were outscored. They had a negative run differential. They had a terrible offensive team, and yet they won 90 games and had home field advantage in the National League Championship Series. The Baltimore Orioles in 
2012 was, that was 2007 for Diamondbacks. In 2012, the Orioles, up until the end of the season, were outscored. And take one look at their team. There was nothing remarkable about that club. And yet, they managed to get to the division series where they played a competitive division series against the Yankees. Hell, the very next year, the Red Sox had a team that was cut and paste from all different you know, players and cast-off veterans in a very competitive American league and wound up winning the World Series. There are teams that make you go, wow, I didn't see that coming. I truly did not see that coming. But most of the time, you get a sense of who the good teams are, the best constructed teams, and they'll have a tendency to start to play well. Now, yes, in the National League, the three teams that seem to be prohibitive favorites to win their division are the Nationals, who are two games under 500, the Cubs, who are one game under 500, and Los Angeles, who's at even 500. The Yankees, who many people were falling over themselves to pick to be the world champion, are two games above 500. They were at even 500 a couple of days ago. They won the last couple of games against Toronto. Things even themselves out. And if you are a surprise team, if you're a team that got off to a fast start, it's a little bit of pressure on you to keep up that fast start that maybe, just maybe, you can keep the wheels turning and find yourself in the postseason in a year that no one's expecting you. Every once in a while, you'll have a team that's floundering around and flopping on the deck that put on the aft thrusters in the last couple of months. You saw that with the 2007 Rockies, who went from eh, maybe borderline wildcard contender, but not really, to National League champions in just a couple of weeks. Remember, the Kansas City Royals had a losing record in July in 2014, and they got to within one swing of winning the World Series. That can happen, but it's kind of rare. And you're starting to see things like, hey, the Angels got off to that amazing start, and as I'm recording this, they are now behind the Astros, who went on a big winning streak, as you'd expect. The Pirates got off to that fantastic stretch, But they've been overtaken right now by St. Louis and Milwaukee, the team that I picked to win the National League Central. And you're seeing the Red Sox are off to this terrific start, but the Yankees are slowly putting it together. Stanton will get his hits, and they'll play well. Severino has been an ace. It's a big game today to see if Tanaka can turn things around, but they won a couple of important games against Toronto, a team that's ahead of them. These games are more important for the surprise teams than the teams that you expect to win. The New York Mets got off to this wonderful start, rushed to the front of the line. They're still in first place, but guess what? They're only half a game ahead of the Philadelphia Phillies. And only two games ahead of the Atlanta Braves. Those are two teams that are in full rebuild mode. Rebuild mode. You say that three times fast. Rebuild mode, rebuild mode. Do I think either one of those teams have what it takes to make it all the way through? Probably not. But there is some talent on Philadelphia. There's some talent on Atlanta. And there's talent with the Mets. It's always better to start well than 
to flop right out of the gate. Just ask the Reds. Just ask the White Sox. Just ask the Padres. Just ask the Rangers. Just ask the White Sox. Just ask Baltimore. Just ask Tampa. Those are teams that people look at and say, yeah, they're probably not going to contend, and they come stumbling and bumbling out of the gate. I don't know if all of them are tanking. I take a look at a team like the White Sox. I think they think they have some good players on their team. I think they think of this as not the beginning of the blowing up and rebuilding, but a big step. And maybe this will be a year where they lose 100-some-odd games, but a lot of young players will get the experience of playing on the big league level. They'll have a great draft pick, and next thing you know, they go into next year a little older, a little wiser, and be able to take advantage of the Cleveland Indians. By the way, the Cleveland Indians, who didn't start the season off like a house of fire, oh, surprise, they're in first place. It's just how baseball works. In the middle of July, a great stretch by the Pirates or a great stretch by the Mets may be absorbed, and you may not even notice it happen. It just is magnified because it's how you start a season. Now, with that being said... It is more important, and I'm being a broken record about this, it is more important for the surprise team to win games at this point of the year than the expected team. You take a look at the Houston Astros right now, who, you know, are for many people the team that is expected to return to the World Series. They are 16-7 and is their... Their record right now. Now, they went on a three-game losing streak at one point. They had a, in fact, they, they lost uh, five out of six games at one point. When they started the season on a house fire, and then all of a sudden the Twins beat them a few times, the Rangers beat them a few times, they lost the game to the uh, Seattle Mariners, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait a minute, the, the Astros are only 10-7. and seven. And the Angels are off to this great start. Could this be a World Series malaise? No, of course not. Of course it's not a World Series malaise. Because they are now rattling off a six-game winning streak, beating up the Mariners, beating up the White Sox. Yes, beating teams are supposed to win. That's part of how you do this. And you take a look at this club. And, I mean, right now... In Who Owns Baseball, the American League pitcher who has the highest WAB total is a member of the Houston Astros, and that's Charlie Morton. Remember Charlie Morton? He was the guy on the mound when the Astros won the World Series. I don't much look at his record, which is 3-0. His ERA is under is 0-7-2, and he struck out 33 batters in 25 innings. That's not bad. Neither is Garrett Cole, who also is an ERA sub-1. And he has 41 strikeouts in 28 innings. Hey, look at that. Justin Verlander has a 1.1 ERA, 39 strikeouts in 32 and two-thirds innings. Lance McCullers had a couple of rough starts, but he's been pitching well recently. And Dallas Keuchel is the same thing. Keuchel and McCullers are their four and five starters. 
And even though they're not getting much production out of Ken Giles, the rest of their bullpen is so locked down that you're like, you know what, maybe we don't need a closer. Maybe we'll just keep pitching whatever pitchers needed to close out the game. And hey, look at that. Chris Devensky has a couple of saves. Brad Peacock has a save. Ken Giles has a save. Ah, Maybe that's how they're going to do business. It seems to be working. It seems to be working. And George Springer got off to a clunky start, but he's starting to hit the ball well, as everyone knows he's going to right now. And then you have Altuve, you have Correa, are both off to tremendous starts. McCann is off to a tremendous start. You just have, you, you're, you know this team's going to get its hits. Reddick got off to a slow start, and now he's hitting the snot out of the ball. So if the Angels have any hope of keeping up with this team, the head-to-head games, no matter what time of the year it is, are critical. And they failed their first test horrifically. Horrifically. And this is a message to the Angels. I'm not a huge Angels fan. I'm not. I make no bones about the fact that I'm not a big Angel fan. But I am, in many ways, rooting for them Because they have Mike Trout, the best player in baseball, who has played only three more postseason games than me. And they have Shohei Otani, the most interesting story in baseball, going on. And also, I live in Southern California. So it's nice when one of the local teams is doing well. They came out of the gate and they played well against Cleveland. They played well against Oakland. They played well against Texas. They played well against Kansas City. They ran up a 13-3 record and had a head-to-head against Boston. It was supposed to be the Red Sox' first real challenge. After after the Yankees, it was supposed to be their challenge. They're going to face a red-hot Angels team in Anaheim. And what happened? The Red Sox scored at will. 10-1 10-1 to the first game, 9-0 the second game, 8-2 to the third game. And most of these games were blowouts early. Two of the games began with a Mookie Betts home run, as if to say, nope, we're the varsity team. It was an ass-whipping by an average score of 9-1. to You know, when a team doesn't show up or forfeits, officially the score goes as 9-0. In other words, the Angels almost played so badly that it was basically indistinguishable from if they forfeited all three games. That's not good. That's not good at all. And in came a San Francisco team, a very flawed San Francisco team, who took two out of three. One of them a blowout, one was a nail-biter, and then that, the, uh, that they won on Saturday. Then yesterday's bizarre game where Brandon Belt fouled off. He had a 21-pitch at bat and basically wore out the, the poor pitcher. They had to go to the bullpen early because he had thrown 45 pitches in the first inning and didn't let up a run. 
Since going on, how long was that winning streak? They went, I'm going to go to baseballreference.com, the single greatest website history planner. They went on a seven-game winning streak leading to the series against Boston. And since then, they are a glorious one in five. They've lost five of their last six games. It's early. Of course it's early. Of course the ship can be righted. But it's an important thing psychologically for this team because they're about to play Houston. They're going to Houston after a disastrous home stretch where they lost five of six games. They have to go to Houston and then they have to go then they have to go back to Anaheim to play New York. These are a brutal six games for this team. The Angels need to build upon a fast start. Because here's what can happen. The Astros could say, well, that was an interesting hiccup for a couple of days. The Angels were in first place. But we're the best team. We could take the division, put it under our arm, and start running with it. And make the Angels an afterthought early in the season. Let's say the Astros... Sweep them. Then they'd be four and a half games back. Yes, Sully, I know it's early in the season. But if you give the defending champs a four and a half game edge, do you see that Astros team playing five games worse than you for the rest of the year? These head-to-head matchups are so important for the teams that want to upset them. To keep them from running away with it. And then, of course, to go to New York to basically say, hey, we have to play with the big teams. If the Angels have any ambitions to be one of the big teams in this October, they have to show they can play with them, and these games matter. They matter more for the Angels than they do for the Astros, which makes me slightly nervous for the Angels. Because the Astros can just say, oh, yeah, well, we're probably going to win this anyway, even if we, you know, even if we get swept. Even if the Astros get swept, they're probably like, ah, you know, this happens. If the Angels sweep them, they're like, okay, okay. We gotta, we gotta try to keep pace with this team. You know, it sounds crazy to say things like these are big games, these are big games. But when the Mets win four out of six games against the Washington Nationals, that's big because they want to keep pace with the Nationals. And those head-to-head games in April, in the middle of the year, and at the end of the year, they all add up. They add up big time and in a way that you're like, okay, we've got to make sure we have as many of these in the can as possible. They help you absorb the losing streaks. They help you absorb some of the bad moments. So right now, I'm going to go to the website here, MLB website. The Angels are heading off to Houston. Skaggs is off to a nice start, is pitching for the Angels. Garrett Cole, 
who's putting up Cy Young numbers, is starting for Houston. This is a big game. You know, what can happen is this. There can be a surprise team in the American League. Uh, The A's certainly look like they were loaded with talent. There could be a team that you are expecting to win that starts to fall back a little bit. What if the you know what if the American League Central becomes a scrum? What if Toronto has a contending year? Boston's certainly going to have a contending year. The Yankees are certainly going to have a contending year. Cleveland is probably going to be the best team in their division. So when you start looking into this, you're starting to run out of spots in October. If you think the Red Sox and the Yankees are going to make the postseason, then really that leaves one spot of a wild card. Could it be Toronto? Could it be Minnesota? Could it be the Angels? It's probably not going to be the Tigers. But what if it's the Mariners? What if it's the A's? What if it's one of these teams that have a ton of young talent and suddenly they click? The Angels are in an interesting position. In that they are talented, they fell just short of a playoff spot last year, and they've added the most intriguing story in baseball in Otani, along with the best player in baseball, who's off to a great start. Leading the league in home runs, super high OPS, playing great defense. Mike Trout, who was putting together probably his best statistical season last year before he got injured, is on a mission. A mission to bring the Angels back to the postseason and this time not getting swept by Kansas City. And in order to do that, to secure a spot, is to win the division. It is a tall order to think that the Angels could pass the Houston Astros. But it's early enough in the season where that could still be on the table. But these head-to-head games, the Angels have to win two of them. Because if they don't, yeah, it's only two and a half back and a lot of things can happen. But their Astros are so deep. This reminds me, these Astros in many ways remind me a little bit of what Torrey had with the Yankees and what Bochy had with the Giants. In that, you may not have the best player at any position, but you have someone really good everywhere. And the depth of it is so great that if one pitcher starts to pitch poorly, another will pick them up. If one hitter goes into a slump, someone else will pick them up. And a team like that, if you let them have any sort of wiggle room, the Angels don't have that kind of depth. You're hard-pressed to find any team, even the Red Sox, off to their great start that they're on. They don't have the depth that Houston has. It sounds ridiculous. We're in late April to talk about must-win games. But these are kind of must-win games if this is what the Angels' real mission for 2018 is. To challenge the Houston Astros for the American League West 
and make them sweat out a division title and maybe, just maybe, steal it from under their noses. Teams with a sense of inevitability to win the division sometimes fall short. The Red Sox went into 2011 with a jam-packed, talented team. And people say, oh, this is going to win the World Series, going to win the World Series. They started the season horribly. They ended the season horribly. If they either started the season in a mediocre manner or ended it in a mediocre manner, they would have gone to the postseason. Hell, if they just won one more game, they would have gone to the postseason. But they didn't. And just a few years later, with the arrival of Max Scherzer to a stacked Washington Nationals team, prompting Bryce Harper to ask Scherzer, dude, where's my ring? And everyone in the world knowing that the Washington Nationals were just going to take the National League East, put it under their arm, and run away with it. It wasn't even going to be close. And what happened? They didn't make the playoffs. Because the Mets did. And the Mets overtook them. Especially in those head-to-head games. It is possible for a prohibitive favorite to miss the postseason. It is. It is not likely, but the way to do it are the head-to-head games, including now. This is gut check time for the Angels. If the Angels had held their own against the Red Sox and against the Giants, I wouldn't think there would be the same sense of urgency. If they had held their own, they would probably be tied right now with the Houston Astros. And then you can sort of say, okay, we're tied. Try to win a game, maybe two, and sort of hold your own. Instead, they had a stumble and are facing a test. 162 games means you have a ton of tests. And if you cumulatively fail a lot of them, then we can get to the all-star break and say, well, maybe they'll hang on to a wild card spot and get clobbered by either the Yankees or the Red Sox in a one-game wild card. Is that what the Angels' mission is for 2018? Or is it to put the best player in baseball and the most intriguing story in baseball on the greatest stage and showcase a franchise and a team that really should get a lot of national attention? at least for their star player. And Major League Baseball better be rooting for that too. They have their biggest star, and for most people in the United States, he could walk into their store in full uniform, and no one knows who the hell he is. That's a problem. And all the subway ads won't fix that. I think more people would recognize Jose Altuve based upon the fact that he's shown on the highest stage. Also, he's short. So, here we are, late April, and I'm making the case that there's a big game tonight. And there is. Houston versus the Angels. I'll be watching it. I'll be watching this series. And I have a feeling that we're going to learn a little bit about something about the Angels. Because if this slide continues... 
then do you know what? This may just be Houston's year. Does that sound ridiculous? Well, maybe it's kind of like when they call a state early in an election. Kind of like, yeah, mm, we read the exit polls. Uh, We're calling it early. Don't have them call it early. Win a couple of games, Angels. Don't fall back into the pack. So go to SullyBaseball.com. Like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram. I'm everywhere. You can be old school. Send me an email at info at SullyBaseball.com. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. Hoping to see a competitive American League West. This has been Sully Baseball for the 23rd day of April, 2018. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.